Why, hello there. I'm sure that you clicked on today's episode and thought, oh my gosh, what are we going to be talking about? Yep, we're going to be talking about the good old-fashioned, let's talk about sex, baby, let's talk about you and me, except we're going to be doing it in a very educational and scientific way because I think this is actually an important part of health. You know that I believe that health is more than just weight. Health is more than just the way we look. It's how we feel. It's mental. It's physical. It's emotional. It's social. It's environmental. I really believe in a holistic approach to health. So I was super excited to interview Dr. Amy Kellen today, who is an expert in sexual health and skincare. Dr. Amy Keller is a leading anti-aging and regenerative physician specializing in sex and skin. She went to medical school at Utah Southwestern. At the University of Tucson is where she did her emergency medicine residency, and then she did a 4 a.m. fellowship in metabolic and regenerative medicine. She is super fascinating to me because she takes a twist on health, on something that we don't really think about a lot as health, and teaches you why it's important. Her Utah-based practice combines stem cell and exosome injections as well as light and sound-based therapies and bioidentical hormones plus old-fashioned healthy lifestyles to give patients unparalleled regenerative effects for skin, hair, and sexual systems. Today, Dr. Keller is actually going to be just discussing sexual health with me and our sexual systems, and she's really going to be focused on how we optimize our sexual health and how it leads to renewed confidence and connection, which are two powerful forces in the quality of our quest for better health and longevity. Dr. Kellen has treated prominent people in the wellness and biohacking communities and has spoken all over the world about sexual optimization. In the next few months, she's actually even traveling abroad to Jordan and London to speak to audiences about sexual optimization. And to top that all off, she just finished filming a quest for educational platform. Midvale.com called it The Science of Great Sex, which is going to be out this summer. So... To say that she is amazing is an understatement. She really does know this aspect of health, and I sometimes think we don't think about our sexual health and how it does matter. I think you are going to love this episode. I learned a ton from it, and I love how she brought in environmental factors, paying attention to our hormones, and like laid it out in this four-prong approach to teach us. And I really, really loved how she brought in the pelvic floor because that makes such a big difference. She talks about at the end about how a tight and loose pelvic floor matter. And the truth is, as I've mentioned in reels before, if you have a weak pelvic floor, orgasms are worse. If you have a tight pelvic floor, it makes for painful sex. So we go into all of that. I really feel like you're going to find this interesting. It made me think about things I'm doing, and I just hope that you learn a lot from it. I know sometimes when people talk about sex, it can be this like awkward situation, but this was far from it. It was very educational, very scientific-based, and very clear about what each one of us could do to, even in our lifestyles, improve our situations, which truly help our relationships. So I hope you enjoy this interview, and if you do, please share it with your friends and family, (laughs) maybe only certain family members, (laughs) but please share it, and as always, please don't forget to write a review for the podcast. It does help the podcast grow. It makes me be able to record more episodes and get more guests and cover more of your questions, so please don't forget about writing that review and following along, making sure you're subscribing from wherever you get your podcasts. 
All right, let's get into it. It's time to talk about our sexual health. My name's Andrea Allen, and I am a mother of four girls under seven, a wifey to a mountain man, a personal trainer, and a nutrition coach. I love all things women's health and fitness, but let's face it, the fitness industry is complicated and it's not built for the everyday mom. There's so much conflicting information, and you're busy and you don't have time to figure it out. I hate feeling confused and overwhelmed, so I have made it my mission to simplify health and fitness while creating a welcoming, realistic, and empowering home for like-minded women. I'm happy you're here, and I hope you stay a while. Hey, Amy, I am super excited to have you on today's episode. This is a subject that I feel like I have a lot to learn in, so I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. I'm I'm excited to be here. Okay, so can you tell us about what your background is and how you even got into this field of sexual health? Yeah, it's kind of a long road. I was actually an emergency physician for about 10 years. I was an ER doctor. That's what I went to school for. That's what I got my residency training in. And then I worked in a busy ER um, for about 10 years. And towards the end of that, I had my three kids within a, like a two-year period. And um, at, that, at that time, my husband had moved out of state. And so I was kind of like the single parent to these three kids under the age of two. And I was working full-time in the ER at this shift that started at four in the morning. And long story short, I started to kind of lose my mind a little bit. And I, I started to, to realize that I was, you know, overstressed. I was not sleeping. I was like kind of going crazy. I was eating bad food. I, was, I wasn't exercising. I was doing all the things, you know, that we You do. were a busy mom trying to run a, a career. <laughs> I was a busy mom. Like, I think your audience all understand um, and just kind of trying to survive. And, and then it was actually kind of funny. One day my husband was home, he was in town and my daughters who were like three at the time, they got lice. So they both got lice. They're twins. They both got lice. That is the worst. And they have this like curly, long blonde hair. So it's just like the worst case. And we can't get rid of it. It's this whole situation. And so finally we hired someone to come in to help us like get rid of this lice because it was becoming a big problem. And she did, she got rid of it. And then she told us that we had had to do lice checks, like all of us on each other every day to, to look for lice eggs. So there I was one day, I was with my husband and we're sitting on the playroom steps and he's kind of like behind me and I'm, I'm kind of in between his legs and he was looking for lice eggs in my hair. And I realized that that was the most intimate that we had been with each other in months. Yeah. And for some reason, it just struck me like, oh my gosh, like all the things that, in my, that were in my life that I was focusing on that had become so important, um, you know, sex and our sex life, like wasn't one of them. And I realized that it was actually important to me that that not be the case. And so I became interested in sexual health as sort of a piece of general health and, and how do we make that something that's a priority? And then how do we optimize our health in general so that we want to have sex and it's, it's actually on our mind. So that's the, that's the short story. That's actually an amazing story because I think that happens to a lot of women where we, become so overwhelmed with our life that our sexual relationships and even just that helps our regular relationship gets put on the back burner. Yeah. And so that's actually, that's very relatable in that you're like, oh my gosh, a relationship that's really important between you and your spouse all of a sudden is like very last under all the things. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I was like in survival mode, like, and it was the, you know, the hardest probably three or four years of my life. And, and I think that, 
I, I realized that I had to make some other sort of changes in my life in order to get out of that. Like it wasn't going to happen on its own. And so I ended up leaving the emergency department after, after just a few years, kind of learning some new things and taking some other, you know, uh, training programs and fellowship programs and such. So that I started learning about integrative medicine and I learned, you know, about stem cell medicine and regenerative medicine. And then on top of that, I started learning about sexual medicine. So it was kind of, kind of happened all at once over the course of several years. And that was, you know, eight or nine years ago. And so since then I've been focused on kind of combining um, integrative approaches. So, you know, approaches, you know, traditional medicine plus other types of medicine that they're outside of traditional medicine um, to try to optimize sexual health and optimize general health uh, as we kind of seek this uh, human optimization and longevity uh, in general. Okay. So I think that's so awesome because I think in health, sometimes doctors are really good at just um, fixing the medical side, you know, like take this pill, do this, but we're not good at integrating lifestyle and um, surroundings and mental health and really making it a full on change because we're not just one aspect. There's so many aspects to health, mental, physical, social, emotional. So I think integrative health is so important. And I'm so glad that I feel like as a society, we are starting to recognize that. And you can't just treat a problem. You have to treat the person. Yes. And that's really important. Yes. Yeah. It's so often that I'll have someone come in like, you know, I see, I treat men and women, but you know, I'll have a, a woman come in for instance, and, and maybe she's having a hard time reaching orgasm and she'll be like, you know, I think that like my vagina is broken and I'll be like, it's probably not broken. So let's talk about what's going on. But you know, it isn't is that funny. We blame the, the part oh, that's broken. <laughs> that thing is broken. Just fix that one thing. But you know, we'll get to talking and it's not that she has a broken vagina. It's that, you know, her estrogen levels are off or testosterone or, it's that her like her stress is too high and she's not sleeping or that her you know her spouse is is cheating on her or whatever like there's something else going on cause and effect is real yeah exactly and it's that's what's so interesting to me about sexual health is it is this kind of center point between those other like sort of like you said like sort of other six types of health you know the emotional mental spiritual um social uh, environmental, like all the types of health kind of come together and they have to come together in the right way for you to have a, a, a good sex life, which I think is so interesting. No, that that is very, very, very true. I love that. Okay. So what kind of issues do you feel like arise when people have a declining sex life? You know, I see a lot of things. I mean, the first thing that people complain about is that they just have a... Um, like you know, the issues that, that can cause it are anything from painful sex to lack of desire to lack of ability to orgasm to, you know, there's all different sort of types of uh, female sexual dysfunction. And and we only call it dysfunction when it bothers the person. Okay. So like if you have a lack of desire and it doesn't bother you, then we don't call it dysfunction because you feel fine about it. You're content. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So just so you know, so if you, you know, if you're out there and you're like, I don't want to have sex and I'm fine with that, then that's, that's totally fine. But if you don't want to have sex and you're not fine with it, then we can call that dysfunction and we, we can try to help treat it. I love um, that very, that differentiation yeah. because sometimes we were like, no, I'm content. But you're like, yeah. if you're not content, we can do something about it. Exactly. And I think that a lot of women especially don't know that there are actually options out there. You know, for men, they they can't get an erection. And then like within like five minutes, they're like at the doctor and they're saying, what can I do? Like, fix me. This is, this is, this is not okay. <laughs> but for women, like, you know, start things start not working out well. They're not feeling as good. They're not into sex, whatever. And they're just, they just accept that it's just the way it is. And they don't, they don't think 
kind of ahead, like, oh, well, maybe I could do something about this. Like, maybe there's some good options out there because people aren't educated about the fact that there are actually options out there, which, which I think is important. Which is funny because I feel like as women, we are so good at carrying so many things and doing so many things that when something seems off, we're like, we don't got time to fix that. We just need to move on with the things that we can control. And yeah. It's so sad because we lose important aspects of life. Not, I mean, yes, we're talking about sexual health, but just in general, sometimes relationships or mental health or all these things, because we're like, we don't have time to fix it. And you're saying, if you feel it, we can fix it and it's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's definitely true. I mean, you know, there are certain things that are not fixable, but for the most part, if there's a problem between medical doctors and sex therapists and pelvic floor specialists, like between kind of that triad of people and sex coaches and, you know, and all these people who are in that field, usually working together, we can, we can fix most problems. Yeah. They definitely do all work together for sure. So let's get into this. Like, what can we do about it? What simple steps do you have that like, maybe some are natural, maybe we can reach out to people. Like what are our options if we are having um, any issues with sexual health? And obviously we talked about, there can be many with painful sex or lack of desire or this or that. So obviously it's kind of broad, but how can you help us figure out ourselves? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the first step I think is to go to see a physician, go to see your OBGYN or, or your regular doctor and just get an exam and make sure you don't have anything structurally going on, you know, any kind of medical problem that's obvious, like um, that, that are, that's causing problems. But then I ha- after that, I have kind of this four pronged approach that I work with my patients on um, and I teach other providers that I work with as well. And the four prongs are, the first one is mind the mind. And the second one is um, optimize hormones. The third one is boost blood flow. And the third one is, or the fourth one is support the structures. So those are kind of the four, the four big picture points that, that I will, we can kind of talk through. Oh yeah. Let's get into them. All right. Mind to mind. Tell us what that is. I, I'm like, <laughs> teach me the four things. <laughs> okay. So mind to mind, you know, our, our brain is our biggest sex organ and it's the most, it's the, it's, you know, it's where everything starts. It's where desire starts. It's where arousal starts. It's where orgasm starts. Like everything starts with your brain. And so obviously if that is not where it needs to be, then it, then you're not, you're going to have problems. And I think the biggest thing that I see in my patients is just stress and overwhelming stress. Um, and what happens when we're really stressed, out for long periods of time, which a lot of us are, uh, and we've all been there, is that we start making a lot of cortisol and we start making a lot of adrenaline, and these are hormones, and those things affect our other hormones. So when you have a lot of cortisol, this sort of stress hormone, you're not able to make as much testosterone or as much estrogen. And these are hormones that are very important for sexual desire and arousal and all that. And so stress also affects our sleep. So if you're not, you know, if you're super stressed out, you're not sleeping. And of course, like being tired, there's so many things with that that are going to also cause you to not want to have sex. I mean, you know, the, the, the complaint of I'm too tired is the most common reason that we don't have sex, right? <laughs> I'm too tired. I want to sleep instead. And so stress affects our ability to sleep. It affects our hormones. It affects um, long-term. It affects our inflammation in our body, which is going to uh, ultimately affect blood flow. So stress is really, really important. And it's not something that it's easily fixed. But um, the first step I think is working through stress, like, and whatever that means for you, maybe it's a lifestyle change. Maybe it's a job switch. Like my, you know, for me, it was maybe it's just adding meditation practices or walks in nature or adding exercise or, you know, journaling or things like that, but figuring out something that works for you to help mitigate that stress so that you can get into this rest and relax phase. Because with women, especially, but also with men, uh, you, you really want to be in that sort of parasympathetic 
nervous system phase in order to have sex. So that's sort of, so you ha- you hear about the fight or flight, which is sympathetic, and you hear about the rest and relax, which is parasympathetic. So in order for the blood literally to go to our sexual organs and for us to relax and to get that to happen, we have to be in that rest and relax state. And most of us are not in that state most of the time because we're so stressed. Um, so that's so, so important. And that's a good, that's a, my important, most important first step. I love that. I, I actually can attest to that. Early last spring, I run a business online. We work with coaches. And the truth is I had too much on my plate. It was very overwhelming. My stress level was insane. And I was trying to figure out because I wanted to help as many people as I could, but I didn't quite I hadn't hired on enough people to help me help people, if that makes sense. This yeah. was before I brought on coaches to help with clients. And I remember one time talking to my husband, who we have a really excellent relationship. And truthfully, when we are connected, that does help our relationship in both ways. When we talk, when we are connected physically, and when we're connected emotionally. And I remember he said, it just seems like you don't want to be with me in that way as much. And it broke my heart because I was like, oh. And it wasn't because a lack of wanting to be with him. It was the stress that I felt like my brain didn't make a space for that moment. I couldn't calm myself for that moment. And so I learned, like you said, I was like, I have to decrease my stress. So I started, um, I noticed for me, I could switch into my parasympathetic when I went outside and just looked at nature. So I would sit in my yard for 10 minutes every hour between coaching and between some of the things I did and just take deep diaphragm breaths and look around and it calm me down. I brought on, I brought on coaches to help, you know what I mean? And say, you know, my, my mental health is more important that we you know, evolve this correctly and everything's not on my back. And my stress level came down and it helped with intimacy too. So I can attest to your first example that it makes a difference. And I did have to think what works for me. I love nature. I love being outside. So that really helped me just literally stepping outside for 15 minutes, 10 minutes and taking deep breaths and clearing my mind and like looking at the clouds and the mountains. Yeah. <laughs> I'm totally with you. Nature, I, I live in Utah, so I live like right up against oh, the mountains. Oh yeah, so it's beautiful there. And nature and hiking or even just sitting outside looking at the, you know, the horizon is, it's the thing for me too. Like if I'm stressed or angry, I'm like, okay, I got to get away. Or walking, I would go on walks. I would go on walks around the neighborhood with nothing. I wasn't allowed to bring my phone and I would just go on a 10 minute walk and it, yes. it helped decrease my stress level. And I had, you have to do the work to decrease. Like we all say, oh, we're so stressed. We're so stressed. But if you don't do anything about it, it won't get better. And it really does hurt your life because I realized my brain is so busy that I am not um, able to nourish some basic things that are important to me. Yeah, I think that's so true. When I, like when I was when I was back in the ER and that when having that sort of very stressful three or four years, um, I remember that I didn't take time. I didn't feel like I had time. And that's part of it. You're like, I don't have time, but you have to realize I have to make time. You know, but you do have to. Make, in ten minutes, I feel like everyone can make ten minutes, even yeah. if we have multiple jobs and kids. Um, you know, certainly it's easier for some than others. But I think that to your point, you know, we all can make at least a little bit of time to take care of ourselves. Yeah, and you have to realize what works for you. Like I remember um, someone telling me, "Well, you need to meditate." I would try to meditate, and I would think of everything under the world. <laughs> Like before I knew it, I'd be like, my big toe itches. My, my, my nose is running. Like I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I'm exactly like right. Everything, totally. everything, every noise, everything. I like my 80 brain thought it was going to explode. But if I went outside and thought about things I was seeing, 
yes. it kept my mind busy, but calmed it. So you do have to figure out what works for you. Like when people tell me they meditate, I'm like, oh, that is fantastic. But I have to meditate, which I consider that meditating. I have I to meditate in a way that works for me. Yeah. And that isn't just complete like nothingness, like silence in my bedroom. Like before I know it, I'll be like <laughs> digging through and cleaning out my nightstand or something. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I totally, totally get that. Okay. So what hormonally can we do? Like what could we be aware of for our hormone health? So hormones are, are, you know, are really, really important for sex, as you might imagine. Um, and as women, our hormones are going up and down, you know, each month there's, there's, they're cycling through, you know, from age, whatever, 15 till, until we go into menopause. Um, and that's, that's how it is. And that's normal. There's, but there's a sort of 10 years before menopause, maybe we're 35 or 40, where we start to see some hormone fluctuations that can affect our, our sexual interests in our, in our sex life. So during that time period, we will start to see, um, that our testosterone often goes down and testosterone, just like in men, it's, it's a big driver for being interested in sex and for being able to, to have, you know, have be aroused and have orgasms. So we really do need to keep testosterone up. Um, so that starts to kind of go down, you know, we're 35 or 40 and then, um, then you also start to see lowering of progesterone. And so you get estrogen that's too high. And so that's about a 10 year time period. And then at menopause, which is going to be, you know, age 50 ish, um, all the hormones drop off. And so you all of a sudden have like very, very little of any of those hormones. Um, and so that's, you're going to start to see. And that also creates dryness down there, doesn't it? Yeah. And that's not fun. (laughs) It's like sandpaper. You don't, you don't want dryness down there when you're trying to be intimate. Yeah. And so estrogen in women, estrogen is kind of the key sexual sex hormone and estrogen is, um, it's really important for keeping the, for keeping your whole body healthy, but especially for keeping your, yeah, your sexual organs healthy, for keeping your vaginal tissues healthy. Mm -hmm. So when you don't have estrogen, the cells start to just kind of like atrophy and they kind of dry up, like you said. And that happens in our skin without estrogen. It happens in our, in our vagina. It kind of happens everywhere. And estrogen, you know, goes up and down each month. When we're, when you have a baby and you're breastfeeding, that's another time when your estrogen levels are really, really low. I was going to ask you that. I was thinking, what about postpartum? I got a lot of people who are there. So postpartum is interesting in that, you know, sometimes it, it, for some people, it's just for a few months and it's not a big deal, but some people breastfeed for several years and that in your estrogen and your estrogen levels will generally stay pretty low that whole time. And so a lot of women will actually have, you know, painful sex and, um, like you said, dryness and, and things like that during that time period because estrogen is so low. Um, another time is if you're on birth control pills that will also, that of course lowers your own estrogen because it's sort of replacing it with a synthetic estrogen. Oh. And that doesn't usually cause the same kind of problems, but it can cause a decreased testosterone. And so some women who are on birth control pills will have a less of sexual desire and such because of that testosterone. So there are just all kinds of things with your hormones that can affect your sexual health. And so I, what I recommend is if you're having any kind of problems or concerns, um, whether it's with lack of interest in sex, lack of desire, or difficulties of arousal or orgasm or anything, that you see your physician and talk about, you know, what, what hormones are at play and depending on your age, maybe get those things checked with a blood test or a urine test uh, just to see where you are and, you know, what can be done about it. Okay. So they should be aware of estrogen, testosterone, progesterone. It obviously is affected during different stages as you get closer to menopause, when you're postpartum, birth control, a lot of different layers. And going to like an OB, is that who they would go to or would it be better to be like a hormone specialist? 
kind of both maybe depending on what's in your area? Yeah, it kind of depends on where you are. I mean, I would say if you're a postpartum, go to your OBGYN. Um, If you are OBGYNs, oftentimes a lot of them are very, are very good at managing hormones as well. Um, But then there's some other doctors like, like myself, I'm not an OBGYN, but, but I do a lot with bioidentical hormones and um, replacing hormones in people who need them with other hormones that are the same as the ones that their body makes is what that means. And so there are other physicians who do bioidentical hormones who they aren't OBGYNs, but they're very, very good at the hormonal piece. Okay. So Google's your friend to find someone in the area, maybe. <laughs> Google, and read maybe, a lot of reviews, talk, right? to, talk to friends. I yeah. was going to say, and I guess hopefully the doctor would be connected in that if they feel they aren't equipped to answer the yeah. questions that they would know where to refer you. So it's worth reaching yeah. out. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, perfect. So we could be aware of those. Now, what is boost blood flow? Like, well, I mean, I know what that is. <laughs> so one thing that happens as we get older, and this is more for people over, again, you know, maybe 35 or 40, but is that we start to not get, be able to get as much blood flow into our pelvis um, because we're just not, you know, our blood vessels start to then you start to get atherosclerosis. So plaque starts to build up in your blood vessels. You know, again, after for women, it's more after age 40 or so. But um, but for men, same thing. That happens a little bit earlier for men and is the main cause of erectile dysfunction in men, by the way. But oh, so you start to have, you have, you have blood that can't, the blood can't really get to the pelvis as much. And, and what you all probably know is that you have to have good blood flow into your pelvis in order to be able to like all the things that, you know, during arousal blood flows to your pelvis and your clitoris gets, you know, blood flow and your vagina gets blood flow. And that's what creates the lubrication is blood flow. So blood is super important. And as you get older, um, you stop being able to make us get get as much blood flow. One thing that happens is that you stop making as much uh, of a chemical called called, uh, nitric oxide. And nitric oxide is the main chemical messenger that tells your blood vessels to vasodilate, which means to open up. And so by the time you're 40, you're making about half as much nitric oxide as when you were 20. And what that means is that you're not, you're not capable of getting as much blood flow into different parts of your body um, as you were when you were younger. So that's one of the things I work with patients about is, you know, how can we increase your nitric oxide and maintain that nitric oxide as you get older? And a lot of things that we do every day will do it. So exercising, you know, both aerobic and anaerobic exercise will increase nitric oxide. Getting some sun, like just a little bit of sun outside, 10 minutes a day can increase nitric oxide um, or doing like red light therapy. It's something you can do at home as well. Um, and then eating foods that are high in nitrates. So these are like green leafy vegetables, arugula, kale, spinach, um, beets are classically very high in nitrates. And then your body can actually convert the, uh, the body and bacteria can convert the food nitrates into nitric oxide. So I focus a lot on nitric oxide, but for my patients, a lot of whom are in that 35 to 50 year range, um, because that's when we start seeing problems with, with blood flow. I can't believe it cuts in half. I know. No wonder they say you hit 40. It's just all downhill. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's, it's a very, nitric oxide is very important. It's, it's important for so many parts, so many things in our body. Um, you know, during, with COVID, it's important for fighting viruses and, and you're keeping your blood vessels healthy for, for being able to, to do that. Um, and people just don't know about it. One inter- interesting fact about nitric oxide is that in order to make nitric oxide from food, you have to have healthy bacteria in your mouth. Oh. And we all have bacteria in our mouths. You know, it's called the microbiome. We have them in our mouth and our belly and everywhere. Um, but if, if you use antiseptic mouthwash like Listerine, 
frequently, then you kill those bacteria in your mouth and you're no longer able to make nitric oxide from food, which is, I think, so interesting and a good reason to ditch the, the mouthwash. Jaw drop over here. I'm like, okay, maybe I'll take stinky breath if I can make nitric oxide. <laughs> you can use it occasionally. Like, certainly if you had like a garlic lunch, like, feel free. But you just don't want to use it, you know, don't want to use it all the time, especially if you're over age 40. It's not as big a deal if you're younger okay. because you're making nitric oxide from your blood vessels. Okay. Um, but as you get older, you're not capable of doing that as much. So you really have to make it, you know, make it from food. Okay. So truly to be able to increase our nitric oxide, oxide, uh, we mentioned exercise, you know, cardio and strength training. We mentioned food, we mentioned sleep, we mentioned the sun. How, like, will people notice a difference? How long does it normally take? Maybe this is a loaded question, maybe, but like, what is the window? Like, would I notice if I started working on this after a couple months or you know, I guess it's all, it's layered. It's layered and it depends on your age. I mean, again, if you're 25 years old, then you have enough on your own without really doing much extra. Like you're just fine. But if you're 45 years old, then maybe you don't have as much unless you really work on it. And something else that you can do that's, that's fantastic is just breathe through your nose and nasal breathing, um, actually increases nitric oxide in a way that breathing through your mouth doesn't. So people who exercise and they try to breathe, breathe through their nose primarily, one of the reasons for that is that you're actually getting more blood flow because of nitric oxide to like your muscles and your other organs that will ultimately help you with exercise. So if there's all kinds of ways to do it, but you're going to notice more of a benefit as if you're older than if you're younger. So does the breathing through your nose also have to do with like shallow breathing? Because I know a lot of times when people are tired, they heavily breathe through their mouth and then it creates that chest breathing. So they're not using their diaphragm. Yeah. And I know on the flip side, that can cause issues for the pelvic floor. So yeah. If you really think about it and inhale your ribs, does that help as well? Because I know based on what I do, I'm like, oh, that's really important in my right. world. But is it also for... Yeah. I mean, deeper breaths <laughs> through the nose is ideal. Like that's what okay. you want to be doing for the most part. And that, and that includes while you're sleeping. A lot of people in this sort of biohacker community that I'm a part of will put a little bit of tape over their mouth. When that they also helps with snoring. <laughs> right. And that's because you're increasing, you're increasing nasal breathing, you're increasing nitric oxide. And, and yeah, you could, it can help with snoring. It can help with sexual function. Like it's a very, it's very interesting. The nose and the genitalia are linked in very bizarre ways. Like the, t- the erectile tissue in your nose is similar to that in your clitoris or your penis. It's super fascinating. Wow. <laughs> Who knew? (laughs) (laughs) That is really funny. (laughs) Okay, so there are things we can do naturally. We do know it decreases after 40. It's just something we could consistently work on. Even if you're not 40, I feel like in your 30s being aware so that you don't have this massive decrease once you're, you know, into your mid forties, I'm 37. So I think like, oh, I definitely should be aware and be trying to be, cause you last thing, the worst is when you've hit already rock bottom and you're like, shoot, how'd I get here? And it's like, I would rather just be aware and try to not yeah. Hit rock bottom. <laughs> well, and it's already decreasing. I mean, by the time you're 20, like it's just like a downhill. Like it's not like it's, you know, it's not not to scare you, but like after like 2025, that's when things start to go downhill as far as a lot of your hormones and, and such. And nitric oxide yeah. is one of them. So even if you're not 40 okay. yet, even if you're 35, your levels are still a lot lower than they used to be. Okay. So awareness really, really is key. What about the structure? So we're we're aware that we need to, you know, manage our stress, be aware of the hormones boost that blood flow. What about the structures? Because this part I think is super fascinating and links to a lot of what 
I've learned in postpartum health and just women's health in general? So there's a couple of different things to look at with the structure. So first of all, I talk to my patients a lot about um, kind of a pelvic floor health and making sure that the pelvic floor is, is strong, but flexible. Um, and because that's obviously going to support all of your, all of your pelvic organs. And as you know, as you know, uh, a lot of women, you know, some women will have sort of loose pelvic floors, which is you know, those hammock muscles that support, you know, your vagina and your bladder, the muscles will be loose, like after they have babies, for instance, um, and they're weak. So they're loose and weak. And that's when we talk about doing, you know, the pelvic floor exercises like the Kegels, which everyone talks about, um, which can be helpful, as well as some of the other pelvic floor strengtheners. Um, but what people don't talk as much about is that you can also have a tight pelvic floor. So the muscles are too tight and also weak. So they're tight and weak. And so those people um, are oftentimes going to have painful sex or they'll have chronic pain in their lower abdomen, their belly, their back, their hips. Um, and it and it can cause um, it can cause a lot of problems with sex. It can cause problems with posture and other things as well. And with if you have that, the last thing you want to do is something like Kegels, right? Yes. You want to actually sort of get those muscles to start to relax and work with the pelvic floor therapist um, or someone who knows what they're doing to relax those. So I think that that's the first thing is don't just assume that you should be doing Kegels all day. You definitely have to know. And and I think we have this false sense of like, I'll hear people say, I want a really strong pelvic floor. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, (laughs) it needs to be strong, but flexible, like, you know, flexible. It needs to be able to move with it. If it's stiff, it's no bueno. If it's like silly putty, it's no bueno. So it has to have this happy medium of where it can have some buoyancy but it's yeah. strong enough to have the buoyancy and give and be, you know. Yeah. And and that's important for getting blood flow to our, you know, to the vagina, to the pelvic organs. It's, you know, it's it's not just about like actual structural support. Like it's the blood vessels go through the, those areas. And if it's if it's too loose or too tight, you're, you're going to mess that up. Um, so that's one thing. I don't do the therapies myself, but I send them to, you know, pelvic floor therapists to kind of work on that. And I will and add then, an, a show note link for anyone yeah. listening. I have a, a reel where I explain the two a hypertonic and a hypotonic. Hypo is a weak and a hyper is tight. So you can kind of do a comparison because there are some overlaps and that's where it confuses people. But yes, you need to see a physical therapist if you have a tight pelvic floor because it's not just about lifting and strengthening. It's truly about relaxing and massaging. And like, it's a totally different route if the pelvic floor is tight. Yeah. Yeah. I'll add that in the notes so people can be aware, because I do think you're right in that awareness first of which you have is really important. It is. And then after that, you know, the other things that there are other things that we can do as, um, as physicians or as at home, you can do them as well to just try to help to kind of increase blood flow and increase, um, sensitivity and orgasm and things. So you can actually support the vagina itself. So for instance, um, there are some home devices that I like, like there's one that's a intravaginal red light therapy device. I don't know if you know about red light therapy. I know about (laughs) red light therapy, but explain that for anyone who doesn't just in case. So red light therapy has, or it's also called photobiomodulation, but basically it's using red LED or red laser lights. You know, you can use them anywhere, like on your skin, you can use them on your body, you can stand in front of them. But what they do is they increase your cells, mitochondria's ability to make energy. So basically, it's it's a way to increase your cellular energy, and that's really important um, for all kinds of things. But we we can use this in um, in sexual medicine. You can actually there's a home device which you can just get it. There's, it's called VFit. I have no affiliation with them, but you can just get it like oh, you know on Amazon or something. VFit. You said VFit. V as in vagina. Okay. And then FIT. VFit or VFit Plus is the professional model. Perfect. 
but it's a um, it's just a wellness device. It's not a medical device, but it's basically an intravaginal red light therapy device, and it's it's fabulous. It's, it feels kind of like a hot stone massage for your vagina, and you do it like twelve minutes a few times a week, and it can help with increasing blood flow and sensitivity to the area. It can help if you have a little bit of sort of mild stress urinary incontinence. So like if you pee a little bit when you sneeze or jump, um, it can help with that as well. And it's just you know basically increasing energy production in those cells that that are in the vagina and kind of in that area nearby um, so that they can become more active and more supportive. So that's a fabulous kind of easy to use uh, thing you can do at home. Awesome. Awesome. Anything else that we could do at home? Those are the, I mean, there's, there are some other devices for home that can be like pelvic floor strengthening devices. If you know you have a hypotonic pelvic floor, mm-hmm. like the intensity device or the apex device or intravaginal TENS units, mm-hmm. which are going to basically contract those units at your, those, those muscles at home. But you want to make sure that you're a good candidate for that first before you go and buy those things. Um, and then there are things we can do in the office. You know, we can use vaginal lasers or vaginal um, radio frequency devices, which are going to cause heat uh, to help to kind of um, increase sensitivity or increase increased lubrication or increased blood flow or things like that as well. Um, and then the other thing that we'll do in the office is we can do injections oh. with things like platelet-rich plasma, uh, which just come from the patient's own blood or, um, in, you know, in kind of higher, higher use cases, um, stem cells or things like that. Okay. Can you explain that a little bit, like how that process works? Because to me, I'm like, it sounds great, but I know nothing about how that works. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the first thing that we'll sometimes do is do injections into like the vagina and into the the clitoris with just PRP. So PRP is platelet-rich plasma, platelet-rich plasma, okay. and that is coming from your own blood. So we just get some blood from the patient, we centrifuge it, and we isolate the the plasma where there's a lot of platelets. And platelets in your body, one of their roles is to repair and heal and kind of you know create that repairing. Um, environment. And so what we do is we just inject that PRP into a few different spots, kind of into like the G spot or that sort of mythical G spot, if you will, as well as the clitoris. And we can start to in- increase blood flow to those areas. And and if, if you're someone who's maybe had lack of sensitivity and lack of blood flow or or um, things like that, then over time, your body can start to, to repair itself and you can have improvements in those symptoms. So PRP has been around for a long time. It's super safe. And we've been injecting that into those areas for probably about eight, about eight or 10 years. And it, okay. it's a really easy thing that you can do. And then sort of a step above that, or maybe two steps above that is actually injecting stem cells into those areas. Oh, wow. So stem cells, <laughs> I'll, I'll take a breath so you could all listen. Um, I know you might need to rewind that and listen to it three times, everybody. <laughs> I will as well. <laughs> it's a lot of science, I know. So stem cells are the cells in your body that are, are responsible for the upkeep of all of your different organs and tissues. And so there, you know, if you have an injury or disease, your stem cells are the ones that are capable of replicating themselves. And they're also capable of what we call differentiating, which means turning into different types of cells. So they can become different types of cells and tissues. So what happens is as we get older, our body's stem cells become less active. And so to give you an example of this, you know, my son who is 12, he's always hurting himself, skateboarding and such. And he'll get these like big, you know, cuts, cuts on his arm or, or other places, but he heals up in like two days. 
Like it's amazing. I know. Right? Kids heal up so like they'll have like this massive injury and then like they're fine in like three days. And then with me, I'm 46. I will get a cut and I it takes me like three weeks to heal it. Like it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's so true. So that is because I have 46-year-old stem cells and my son has 12-year-old stem cells. So it's all like these stem cells um, are, are all about healing, repair, rejuvenation. And as we get older, they're less active. So what we do with, with the stem cell procedures is we will take stem cells from the patient, oftentimes like from their bone marrow, um, or we used to use their fat a lot as well. And we'll isolate the stem cells and then we can inject those into other areas. So we can inject them into joints. We can inject them into skin for facial rejuvenation, and we can inject them into the sexual organs in men and women to try to increase their own stem cells activity um, and repair and rejuvenation of those tissues. That is so fascinating. So I love your four-prong like way of looking at it because I feel like it goes from every aspect of things we can do naturally, things we could be aware of in our body, and then external things that we could do to help improve it. So you know, for anyone who's listening, like there's something you can choose for you. You know, you could look at your stress. You could look at how you could improve that. You could look at your hormones. You could look at what you could eat or if you could exercise to increase blood flow. And you could go to a doctor's office and see what they could do for you as well. So it really does lay multiple layers of how we can improve our sexual health. And it is important for relationships. And I feel like on many levels, you know, emotionally, socially and physically. Like I think it is important personally. Maybe not everyone does. I do feel like it's important to feel connected to your spouse. And I feel like it makes our normal relationship day to day stronger. Like we're just, I feel like a little bit more um, connected that way. Yeah. So I, I love that there's lots of ways that you've explained. You can be aware. You can be aware and there's things you can do. Yeah. Exactly. So where can we find you on social media? What's your website? Do you take like any online clients or anything like that? Or is it all in person? So yeah, I'm not taking new patients right now, except for, for stem cell procedures. I do okay. have a clinic um, that I'm one of the owners of here in Salt Lake that um, that has other providers who are taking new patients. Um, and I'm working on eventually getting a telemedicine program set up, but we're not quite there yet. But I do take new stem cell patients at um, that clinic is called Doceri Clinics, which is D-O-C-E-R-E clinics.com. Okay. Um, and then um, on social media, I'm pretty active on Instagram at Dr. Amy B. Killen. So that's A-M-Y, B as in Bravo, K-I-L-L-E-N. Um, and then I have I have a couple of different websites. Uh, DrAmyKillen.com is, is, a, is a good one just to kind of, that I can shoot you to the other, you know, you can message me on there and I can tell you where to go and what other websites to go to. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much for kind of bringing that to our attention and pointing out like Again, I feel like in general in health, what I try to teach people is you're not trapped. There's always something you can do. If there's something in your life you don't like, whether it's physical, mental, you know, whatever it is, you can fix it or at least improve it based on your lifestyle or reaching out for the right help. So I love that yeah. you helped point that out. Thank you so much yeah. for being on today. Thank you. This has been super fun. Wasn't Amy fantastic? I hope you loved this interview. I like to look at health from a lot of different angles. And as Amy mentioned, if, if this is not important to you or you feel good where you are, no big deal. But if you are in a situation where you do wish that your sexual health was more strong, you might want to look into some of these things and think about how we can change our lifestyles or reach out to people who can help us like doctors with hormones and whatever else to really improve our lives. 
I truly do love health and fitness, and that includes every aspect. So I will continue to try to bring a variety of topics and subjects and anything that would possibly make your life easier, more fun, longevity, or just create some peace and connection in your relationships. I love you. I mean it. And as always, you are doing better than you think you are. All right. We'll chat next week.